Well, thanks for that. I, I just want to go ahead and say that this is my first time at Heritage. And uh, I tell you what, I got to be honest with you. I love it here. I think that I had to come back more often. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but I got to be honest, I really am truly excited. I don't know why I was so excited at first. I, I was like, man, I just can't wait to go speak. And I think I know the reason why. It's because um, I see God working here. And I love being in environments that are contagious. I love being in environments that grow. And uh, honestly, I, not only do I love Jeff and, and uh, Chad was on our staff and, and Jimmy uh, was also a part of Kinston in the past, but, uh, but more so, I love the fact that God is doing great things. I love the fact that Jeff has a vision. I think that God has given him a vision to reach out. And, uh, and so I just, I'm just privileged to be a part of it here today. Thank you so much for having me here today. Uh, as, uh, as, as these guys have already said, and by the way, I've heard that our MLA City campus is awesome too as well, um, even though I've never visited it. But if it's anything like this, I'm sure it's fantastic. Uh, but uh, this is part three of a series that uh, you guys are in called live free. Uh, I went online to experienceheritage.org and I actually received the emails. I'm on the email list and I clicked on the link and I was just kind of, kind of, you know, glance over it, but then I found myself watching the whole thing. So I ended up watching both messages. It was very easy. If you've missed the messages, I encourage you to go online and uh, click on uh, the website there and click on the video and watch and get caught up. The first week was called Taking Care of Business. Last week, Jeff did a great job talking about a new kind of normal and today, we're talking about the concept of sowing and reaping. I gotta be very honest with you, uh, I, I'm just a normal guy. I don't really uh, do agriculture. These are agricultural terms, which by the way was perfect in the first century. In the first century, they, they understood the power and the impact of sowing and reaping because that's what they did all day. Like they planted stuff, right? But my guess is the average person uh, doesn't deal with that as much. Now, your pastor, Pastor Jeff, he grew up on a farm. Like, he knows these terms, like, really well because he grew up raising chickens. In fact, I think he raises chickens in Macomb County when nobody else is allowed to, right? He just, he plants stuff, uh, you know. And, but, but for the average person, my guess is, is that we have to kind of come a little bit further to figure out the powerful impact and word picture that these terms have. Uh, of course, unless you're from uh, the Inlay City campus, right? Those guys, you know, up there in the thumb, they're just like, yeah, I planted something and it grew up to be that right there, you know? They, they, they know that all the time, right? <laughs> Which, by the way, I feel like I can do that because many of you don't know, I spent 10 years living in the South, about 30 minutes outside of Atlanta. Some of my best friends affectionately refer to themselves as rednecks, so hopefully you guys had fun with that. So, um, but uh, I, love the, I love the thumb. So anyway, the point is, is that sowing and reaping are agricultural terms. Now, sowing, of course, is when the farmer takes the seed and sows the seed or scatters the seed or plants the seed, and then reaping is collecting, uh, collecting the harvest. And it's called the law of the harvest. And the Bible teaches that there are supernatural or spiritual laws that are just as absolute as natural laws. And if we live and abide by these laws, then our lives will benefit. But if we ignore these laws, then we will have hardship or we'll have difficulty. Um, you'll actually be frustrated. Now, what's interesting about the law of the harvest is, honestly, it's just so mysterious. It's a God law. And you don't have to understand it in order to work with it. Uh, let me say it this way. I don't understand the law of magnetism, but I use a compass all the time. I don't understand the law of gravity, although I really respect it. I don't understand the law of electricity, right? But I turn on the lights and use it all the time. But the law of the harvest, I can't understand, whether it's given in Galatians 6 or Genesis 8 or in the passage that we're looking at today, which is 2 Corinthians chapter 9. But what I do know is that it's true. 
And the concept is this, if you sow evil things, and by sowing, I'm saying if you're putting your time or your treasure or your talent or your focus or your energy into evil things, then you will be surrounded all of a sudden by evil things. You will, uh, as if, you know, like a seed becomes a larger crop or fruit, you will then have evil things around you. We, we've lived life long enough to know this is true. And sowing could be really just about anything, investing and putting time into something. At the same time, if you sow righteousness, if you sow good things, you invest all your time and energy and focus, then you'll be surrounded by the benefits or the fruit of that labor. Um, even people who don't know God have terms to substantiate this, don't they? This is a universal law. And so people that don't even know God, they'll say things like this. Hey, it's, it, it's a law. What goes around, what? comes around. They'll say that, don't they? And they don't even realize that's from the Bible. It's a biblical concept. People will say something like, hey, if you live by the sword, it's, a, it's, it's inevitable you're going to what? Die by the sword. Somebody will also say, uh, you can't escape karma, right? It's karma. It's fate. Because when you, when you do that, it's just going to come back at you. People believe this without even knowing the command or the biblical passages that talk about this concept, this universal spiritual truth of sowing and reaping. Uh, they'll, they'll use phrases like, you're going to get what's coming to you. Now, i got to give a disclaimer. Um, when, when Pastor Jeff asked me to speak on this topic, he never once even asked me to speak on like giving financially. Because to be honest with you, this isn't just a financial concept. This is anything. I mean, if you decide to invest relationally uh, to, in somebody, then you're going to get that return. What you sow is what you reap relationally, right? Uh, you could do this even emotionally, but truth be told, the biggest application in the scripture is financially. There's, you know, the law of the harvest applies to our finances. And so even though that he didn't tell me not one time he didn't have an agenda or anything to say anything about giving, I'm just going to give a disclaimer to you. I don't know how else to talk about this topic than to talk about it from my own personal experience, which involves giving. So here's my disclaimer. If you came prepared to give X amount at the end of the service, then just give X amount. Do not give anything else uh, during the offering at the end of the service because the message, my message especially, is not designed to leverage that or to, to make you feel guilty. Just give what you want to give. In fact, if you want to give more later on, then go home and think about it and respond to it next week or online. So when it comes down to it, I'll, you know, just let me off the hook. I'll let you off the hook. But I can't teach this principle without talking about that. I'll never forget the first time that I actually experienced the law of the harvest and actually realized that it worked. Um, I just started going to church. Actually, I was a teenager. I didn't start going to church until I was later, you know, later in life. I'm, you know, 15 is not necessarily later in life, but for me, 15 was, uh, you know, later because I'd been through a lot by the time I was 15. I grew up in a pretty hard environment. Actually, uh, Jeff and I shared uh, war stories when we traveled together. So when I first started going to church, what I realized was is that uh, God wants us to give back, right? And so um, I remember, like, I worked at my grandfather's, my grandfather's bar. He owned a bar. My mom owned a drive through liquor store, and I worked there, and I got, like, 50 bucks, and it came down to my last $5, and I was on my way to Arco Park, where all the ball games happened, because I played baseball, to meet a blonde cheerleader named Julie. And it was my goal to impress her, and I wanted to hang on to my $5, because after all, you got to treat her to like a great snow cone, right? Like, fellas, you, you're with me, right? You know, you're, you know what I'm talking about. I'd have my game on, so I had to give my $5 back in the mid-'80s. And so um, I remember being at church, and there was some sort of a missionary guy uh, you know, it was real meaningful to me at the time, as you can tell. I don't even know who it was. But here's what I do know. I do know that this missionary guy was taking some sort of an offering, and I felt a nudge in the moment. I felt like God was very clearly saying, 
you need to give the $5. And I thought to myself, well, what am I going to have, you know, for, my, for this girl I'm going to meet, right? Like, if I give $5, I'm not going to have anything. So I decided to give it anyway. The play passed, and I was like, oh, and I gave it. I was like, man, I can't believe that. So I got in the car, and my dad, this is to show you how long ago it was, my dad drove me to Arco. I get out to go meet this girl, and on my way out of the car, he stops. And my mom and dad were divorced. I didn't get to spend that much time with him. And, and I remember my dad stops, and he reaches in his wallet. He goes, hey, Chris, here's $5. And by the way, my dad, I think in the 25 years since then, he's never done it, and he never did it before. It was like the only time he's ever done that, I think, in his life, and I'm not kidding. He just said, here's $5. And I, I looked, I just grabbed, I just stared at it. I was like, it's like magic. It works. It's like magic. And you know what? Since then, I'll share one more story, but since then, I've experienced so many stories like that. I'm truly convinced that it is kind of like magic. I can't explain it. I don't know how it, uh, to, to explain that if you give a certain, you know, portion back of what God has blessed you with, that he'll bless you with more. It's the law of sowing and reaping, and yet I can't explain it. I just know that it's true. I remember reading a book called The Fields of Gold by Andy Stanley. Uh, some, of this, some of these concepts come from that book. Some concepts come from Rick Warren, actually, material that Jeff sent me. And then also some of this is my own. But here's what I've discovered and I agree with, and that is this, is that most people don't give, or, or excuse me, let me say that again. Most people don't not give out of greed. It's, 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 not, that, it's not that way, really. Uh, in fact, let me say it this way. Even people who aren't God believers, God followers, uh, they'll agree that generosity is a good thing, don't they, right? And, and even people who, you know, they believe in God, uh, you don't have to go too far to convince most people that God is the owner of all things, that God is the provider of all things. Most people agree with that. In fact, you would have to go really far and wide to even find somebody that doesn't think that God is worthy of giving to. Most people don't give out of, you know, not give out of greed, so here's the phrase, and by the way, if you want to pull out your program, we've got some uh, outline kind of things to fill in, and it's up here on the big screen as well, but here's the first point. It's not greed, it's fear. It's the what if factor. What if my money runs out and I need it for something else? What if I have an unexpected uh, expense, or what if I'm not saving enough? See, it was so easy for me to give back then because it was such a small amount, but as I grew in my faith and in my income, those dollars became all of a sudden tens of dollars and then hundreds of dollars, and in some cases, thousands of dollars over the course of a year, and I found myself still giving a percentage, but my joy was gone the more my income increased, and all of a sudden, I found myself struggling whenever I would write a check that was significantly larger than when I first started giving. And so I discovered right then and there as time went on that my problem wasn't greed, it was fear. That I stopped believing in the concrete promises of God because, the, because there was more at stake. And I found that for the most part, people, uh, they have fear and it's really not motivated out of greed when they don't give. Hey, to illustrate my next point, I have a couple of volunteers that I just handpicked. Guys, come on up. Um, I, I just met just a few seconds ago, Wes and then Holly and Rachel. All right, give these guys a hand as they come up here. All right, so here's, Wes, here's what I want you to do, buddy. Come over here and uh, every, just stand right here. Okay. And uh, it's, right, that's good, right there. And then um, let me have Rachel go first, the lovely Rachel, who I just met, by the way. And uh, here's what's going to happen. I didn't tell these ladies what's going to happen at all. They have no idea, do you? You have no idea. Okay, here's what's going to happen. I want you to dance. We're going to have a dance-off. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. <laughs> that's not the case. It's not the case. All right. Now, we're going to do something called a trust fall. Have you ever done this? Okay, you've done it before? Yeah. Oh, excellent, good. So here's what's gonna happen. Go ahead and turn around. I'm gonna put this blindfold on you right here. 
And uh, uh, so you can't see anything, right? All right, so here's what's going to happen, all right? I'm going to put you right here. I'm going to spin you around one time, and I'm going to tell you what's, 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 what's uh, true, okay? What's true is, is that Wes is directly behind you, about five feet behind you, and you're going to uh, put your arms out straight, and when you fall, you can't fall without reservation. You have to fall in such a way that if he weren't there, that your back would hit the back of the stage. You can't, you can't actually, like, you know, put your leg back, or you have to put your full weight completely into the fall, all right? Uh, it's, it's pretty scary, isn't it, in front of, like, 600 people or whatever it is, okay? Rachel, so here's what's going to happen. We're going to count down from three. Okay, ready? Everybody, and then, then you'll fall. Ready? Three, two. Very good. All right, give her a round of applause. Good job. Way to go. Very good. Now, you can just switch places. You can switch places with Holly. Now, Holly, do me a favor. Uh, I had trouble putting this on. You put that on yourself, would you please? All right, very good. Now, here's what I want you to know, Holly, okay? What I want you to know is the circumstances of your trust fall is going to be exactly the same, okay? <laughs> okay, shh, shh, sh no. No, seriously, they're, they're just the same. Everything is exactly the same. So what I want you to do is go ahead and put your arms out. We're going we're gonna to count to three. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Trust fall. <laughs> okay, we're going to count again. Ready? I'm telling you, listen to my voice, okay? Everything's the same. Everything's exactly the same. Wes is behind you. You're going to fall. He's going to catch you. I promise. He's a strong young man. He's good looking, too. Here we go. Ready? Three, two, one. Go, Holly. All right, give Holly a round of applause, would you please? Come, on, come, come over here real quick. I want to interview Holly just for a second, okay? Because we all saw Rachel fall, and she fell straight back, didn't she, right? And yet you, uh, just, you just didn't do anything, did you? No. Okay, tell me why. I'll repeat it for the people to hear, but why, why didn't you fall? Some of the laughter going around here. <laughs> some of the laughter. And what, what were you thinking when, when people laughed? What were you thinking? That something's not quite right. Something's not right. So you didn't believe me when I said? No. You didn't believe me. Probably because you don't know me. Very good. All right, good job. That illustrates my point. Good job. Go ahead and have a seat. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Yeah, it's a great point because here's the thing. Even though that circumstances didn't change, we have to do the same thing, don't we? Because when we, have, when we listen to the voice that tells us what is true, regardless of what everybody else thinks or says or perceives, we have to learn to trust the voice that says, you're okay. You're okay. You can trust me. And the more we know the voice, the more we can trust the truth, right? So here's the second point, and you want to fill this in. Faith, or excuse me, fear and faith live parallel lives. Think about it this way. Uncertainty is an ingredient for both. In fact, I would venture to say it's an essential ingredient for both. Without the elements of the unknown, there could be no faith. And so it's, it's in that moment where we have to learn to we understand. Like, faith isn't the absence of fear, in fact, I would, I would even say that faith always involves fear. And it's always scary because without the element of the unknown, then it doesn't require faith. And what we have to understand is that faith and fear are always present. And so when it comes down to it, I believe that God doesn't want us to run from fear, but rather what we're going to discover together is to do something else with it. We're going to walk through these verses. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Look at verse number 6. Paul is writing to the church of Corinth, and he says, remember this. This is, that means like, listen up. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap 
generously. Now, it's pretty straightforward, and, and this is the next point. Point number three is the law of the harvest involves both fear and faith. The first insight that Paul is giving is the law of the harvest is sowing and reaping. It directly applies to our finances, and there's furthermore, there's a correlation, there's a direct connection to the amount that we give versus the amount that God blesses us back with. Now, this sounds a little risky to say, but I would venture to say that our lives um, really kind of, uh, uh, the more we decide to trust God with, I believe it's the more that God will give us throughout the course of our lives. Because God is the owner, we are the stewards or the managers of the things that he's blessed us with, and Paul seems to make a correlation that if you give generously, then the law of the harvest returns in a greater amount. But if you give sparingly, you'll still get a harvest, but it won't be as much. And again, people have abused this verse over the years. We're going to talk about that in a second. But before we do that, I want to just go ahead and say there's a whole other passage in, the cha- in the book, Mark chapter uh, number four that explains uh, kind of this whole same idea or word picture. Look what it says in Mark chapter four, verse number 30. Again, he, being Jesus, said, what shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? Now, he goes on to describe the, the, the kingdom of God. He says, It is like a mustard seed. See, same category, same word picture, which is the smallest of all seeds. Yet when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. Now, I love this because oftentimes when you hear a sermon on this, you'll you'll understand that like people focus on the size of the seed, which, which by the way, I think is very important, right? They compare faith to the size of the seed. They talk about faith size, right? But I think that people overlook a very large part, uh, a very important part of this word picture, which is the nature of faith, which is this, your, your blanks uh, on, your, on your program. A seed is absolutely useless unless it is planted, right? Unless faith is given away, unless we decide to trust or give or plant something, then we're not gonna receive anything. And that that basically is how faith operates. Unless we decide to plant something, we're not going to get anything. And again, Jesus ties that whole concept directly to faith. Now, again, people have abused these kind of verses in all sorts of ways. They'll say, give me a dollar and God will give you $10, right? That's not what Paul was trying to say. In fact, he wasn't trying to get people's money. In this case, Paul already had their money. What he was trying to do is he was trying to educate them and tell them that God wants to partner with us to basically use the seed of wealth to distribute around the world. How we can work as partners, as God is the owner and us as stewards, not as us as the owner, as God is a steward, but the opposite way around. What Paul is saying is there's a general principle of sowing and reaping that is directly tied to how God takes care of us and provides for us. Now, this is good news for reluctant givers. Because it's not having nothing to show for it when you give it away. It's actually an investment. And you want to fill this out. The farmer who sows doesn't lose seed. He gains a crop. In other words, when you decide to give, don't look at it as losing something. Because I know you feel the same things that I feel. When it comes to our finances, when it comes to responding to what God would have us do, the law of sowing and reaping demands that we decide to invest or plant financially into whatever whether it's give in the offering or give to our neighbor or financially take care of a need that we in our small group have heard about in our community or whatever it is to a charity. But, but when it comes to finances, 
this much is true, that we aren't necessarily losing it. We're actually gaining something back. Now, let me tell you real quick. I got a story where um, when I first kind of, uh, you know, started being a follower of Christ around, you know, 15 years of age. And by the way, I only went to church. Uh, I only kept on going back to church because it was good-looking women at church. Actually, I started going. That's true. I only started going back. Like, I had no interest. And then about six months later, I started listening to the pastor because none of the women would date me anyway. So I actually eventually started following Christ in high school, and then when I went to Bible college, I really was learning in Bible college really some of the Bible stories for the first time, and it was during that time that I got married, my junior year. My wife and I didn't get paid very much at all. We were poor college students, and we had a certain amount of money, and I remember specifically that she and I talked about giving $75 to uh, our church for a need, and so we agreed upon that, and so it was my birthday, and so I went, to, I went out and I wanted to buy new clothes. And I said to my wife, I said, I want to buy, you know, like some sort of an outfit. And she says, well, you know, money's really tight. And I think that we ought to give this $75 to this church. We went to uh, Parkrest Baptist Church and we decided to give it to this need. And so we agreed upon that. She says, you only have this amount of money to spend. And I think it was like literally like 50 bucks or something. She goes, why don't you go to JCPenney? You know, they have some cheap stuff. I'm like, JCPenney? I'm like, all right, fine. And so I remember getting in my car, going to JCPenney and looking around. And I couldn't find anything, but I did find a few things, but it was more expensive. And I called her on the phone. I think back then it was pay phones. And I fought, you know, pay phone, I had to spend a quarter. I called her and I said, honey, I found something, but it's $75 more than, you know, what we're going to spend. And she says, Chris, that would take away our whole gift. She's now, come on, man, you know, we agreed upon this. You're just going to have to find something else. Now go back and search for something else. I said, but I have it right here in my hand. It's $75 more. Come on, let's, let's just like, you know, give next month. And she says, no, we got to give. And I said, fine. So I hung up the phone. Of course, my wife's better than me in almost every way. She encouraged me, and I'm thinking, I'm going to go back. So I go back to this, you know, rack, and I start flipping through the shirts, and I notice in a short sleeve shirt with a, with a collar and a pocket, there was a set of keys inside this pocket. So I, I looked, and I was like, what, what is that? It was a big set of keys. And so I grabbed it, and I walked over to the desk, and I set, you know, the keys down. I said, excuse me, to the lady behind the desk, I said, I just found these. And she flipped out. She goes, are you kidding me? And then she goes, he found the keys. Everybody come. He found the keys. And all of a sudden, people started running. Like, I'm not kidding. I'm not exaggerating just for the sake of a good story. One guy was sprinting across the store. They all left their counters. And pretty soon, there was like four or five people behind this one counter. And they go, where'd you find him? And I said, well, they were just in the shirt pocket over there on this rack. Oh, my goodness. He found the keys. All of a sudden, she gets on the phone, and she calls to the manager upstairs. And she goes, guess what? This guy found the keys. Okay, stay here. She'll be right down. And all of a sudden, she comes down. All of a sudden, there's more people. People. There's like maybe 10 or 12 people. I don't think anybody was getting serviced anywhere in the store. Because apparently I found a set of keys. And so she comes running down and she goes, where'd you find the keys? And I said, well, they're just right over here. I showed like 15 times. I'm like, this shirt in the pocket. She says, here's what you don't know. This is the only set of keys for the whole store. And it's, it's, it's the only set of keys for the safe and for the alarm system. We, nobody in, around this desk has left this room for 24 hours. She said, we were out all night with a big lamp and a lantern, and we ripped open every bag of garbage in the dumpster, and we have rebagged every bit of garbage in the whole mall. And she said, we had to have people stay here 24 hours because, because we had no key to lock up the place. She goes, do you understand? I can't believe you found the keys. And I'm like, happy to help. <laughs> sure. And she goes, thank you so much. And then she reaches down into the drawer and she goes, listen, I, 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 and she got a few pieces of paper and she goes, I don't have much. She goes, there's $25 gift certificates. Look, I found three of them. Here's $75. And I was like, really? 
Now, I know that not every story ends that way, and I know that God doesn't work that way every time, and I'm not saying that if you give, it's a prosperity gospel, and he'll guarantee respond that way, but here's what I do know. I do know that you can't make that stuff up. I do know that God has done that and other things. In fact, we at our church uh, at Kensington, we decided to throw out this challenge for everybody. Now, this is not a challenge at Heritage. Maybe it will be one day, but at our church, we said, hey, jump on board, Trust God with 10% of your income for 90 days. We call it T90, or T90X, tithe 90X. You know, like P90X, you know, P90X. We said T90X. Try it for 90 days, and we actually said, if, if you're not satisfied at the end of 90 days or for some reason you have an unexpected expense, we'll, we'll give you your money back after 90 days. That's what we said. So people were like, what? So they all jumped in and they tried it. We got more emails that were so unbelievable. One guy from my church said, he said, I was waiting on a call for a job because I was a tutor, and normally that takes about like, uh, it, it pays about $15 an hour, uh, and I was waiting on it, and I decided, man, I'm, I'm, looking, I'm in between jobs. I don't have that much income. Then the T90X thing came, and he says, God, I, I think that you want me to do this. He goes, so I decided to go ahead and give with what little I had from this other part-time job, and I was waiting on this call. She goes, and, and then what ended up happening was instead of getting a call for the 15 bucks an hour as a tutor, my college called me that I was an alumni at and asked me to do a specialty job that paid 60 bucks an hour. And he says, and, and it was for three months. And, I, and on paper, here's what I figured out. The exact amount of increase was almost to the dollar what I was tithing, and it was exactly the three months of the challenge. And I'm thinking to myself, like, okay, listen, I'm not saying every story works that way, but you can't make that stuff up. Like, it's beyond coincidence. And I know what you're thinking if you're a skeptic, because believe me, I'm the biggest skeptic in this room. I almost guarantee it. When it comes to hearing stories like that, I think the same thing you do, which is coincidence. Okay, fine. But after you live a life following God for years and you hear story after story upon hundreds of stories like that, you begin to wonder, could this be beyond coincidence? Because when you experience this personally, you start to realize that the concept of sowing and reaping doesn't just apply to, you know, things relationally and things emotionally, but even financially. God proves himself over and over and over again. A seed is absolutely useless unless it's planted. You have to give it away. And then the farmer doesn't lose seed. He gains a crop. Now let's go on. And, and, and this next verse is exciting because actually Paul is about to explain to us how much we should give. So this is good. Everybody wants to know the answer to that question. Verse number seven. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, the insight probably isn't what you were looking for, right? Because Paul didn't exactly uh, give us a financial plan. He doesn't offer any calculations on gross versus net. He doesn't do any dividend tables or depreciation schedules. He just tells us the idea is to give what you've decided upon in your heart to give. In other words, if you don't feel good about giving, what God is saying is that's okay. You just keep it. Keep it because I'll use somebody else because God knows that if you have a reluctant spirit about giving, you're still thinking like an owner and not as a steward. And so rather than to take your money and you miss the whole point, God would rather you keep your money because he wants you to understand and for me to understand. He wants us to be partners with him, with me as the steward and him as the owner. I've jotted down just a few different ways to give that. Well, I came across this years ago, and I'll never forget it, and I thought, I can't really talk about this at all without throwing this out there, so here it is, and we're going to do one by one here. 
Number one, a basic plan on giving is priority giving. I, I make sure that when I give, like the scripture is really clear about this. Uh, you, you, imagine this, you have Jesus over for dinner and you've made some sort of a great expensive meal and you have 15 people there and you serve everybody and you serve Jesus last only to discover that you've run out of food and you have to run to the uh, extra refrigerator out in the garage or your basement and you have to get leftovers from the old macaroni and cheese uh, out of a, and, and heat it up in a microwave, right? Like you'd never do that, wouldn't, would you? You don't give God leftovers. In fact, the scripture is really clear that what you need to do is take care of your most important guests first. So priority giving means off the top. Here's the second one, percentage giving. Uh, the thing I like about this is it's clean and dry and I'm a numbers person, so 10% is 10%. I could present all kinds of scholarly, scholarly discussions or dissections of the Old Testament and then I could reconcile Levitical law and then you know, kind of tie it into the New Testament's theology of grace if you want me to. But I don't think any of that's really necessary. In fact, I would just say it this way. Can you imagine hiring somebody to manage your 401k, assuming that you have a 401k, but if you did, and it was worth a lot of money, can you imagine hiring somebody and telling him that he can keep 90% of it and that you would only want 10%? Essentially, that's what God does. God says, I'm going to bless you. And you think, well, no, no, I'm the one that, you know, earns the living. And I would, I would argue and say, who's the one that gave you the ability to work? Well, I'm, listen, I, I, I found my job. I'm gifted. I'm talented, to which I'd say the same thing that God says to Moses. Who, who do you think made you to be gifted? God, God gives us all things, and he allows us to have all things. And yet what he says, to just give back a portion. Now, here's what I would say about the 10%. I would say, if 10% is a new thing for you, don't start with 10%. In fact, our CFO at Kensington, here's, what he, here's how he responds to the question. People say, how much should I give to God? And he goes, just pick a percent. Because the majority of people... They do that whole, like, you know, tip, like throw a tip in. He says, if you just picked 1%, chances are it would be a, a vast increase because to be intentional is something that we need to learn to grow in. Just pick a percent. I don't care what it is. Start with 5%. Start with 1%. But whatever it is, just simply be intentional. That's a percentage giving. And then finally, progressive giving. If you've been giving the same number for 10 years and haven't increased the amount, then maybe it's possible that you need to move up to 11% or 12%, because here it is. Our faithfulness and our faith go hand in hand, and as our faith thrives, our faithfulness must follow. And so God says to give progressively and to trust him with more and more, and then, of course, the law of the harvest applies. So let, let's read these last couple verses. Look at verse number eight in this passage. It says, and God is able to make all grace abound to you. Let me just stop right there. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that, and by the way, those two words, so that, in the Greek, that phrase means for the purpose of. So God is able to make all grace abound to you for the purpose of, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Because as it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. See, God is always up to something. And the principle and the insight here is that when we decide to trust him, our agenda aligns, aligns with his. Our, uh, our uh, uh, giving aligns with his distribution. Through giving, he aligns his agenda with our lives. Now, look, look what it says in the, in the last couple of verses. Verse number 10. Paul says, now, he who supplies the seed 
to the sower and the bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion and through us your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love the title of this uh, uh, series called Live Free because every financial truth points to exactly that. Um, when, I, when, I went to my, when I moved to Michigan 10, uh, almost 11 years ago, um, I, I had lived all my life in ministry uh, that paid very, 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 very little, and I didn't even have any health insurance, and I put everything on credit card. I had excellent credit, but I put everything on credit card. When I moved here 11 years ago, I had $42,000 just in credit card debt, $42,000. And so to hear financial principles like this, you're thinking like, wait a minute, you know, th- th- that's ridiculous. And, and I know that some people have the theology that, you know, that's a direct sign of blessing to God. But Jeff, Jeff took care of those myths on the first week, right? Like, that's not the case. But I know that, that w- those weren't great biblical principles. But, you know, I started doing these principles. I started taking seriously the Word of God. And I diligently started paying those things off. And I got to tell you, $42,000 is a lot to pay when you are already strapped and making minimum payments. But I'll have you know that last June... I made my last credit card payment, and I'm debt-free, right? It's, it's a long time, isn't it? That's a long time. But guess what? Ten years of my life, I could have been living more free. I'm, I'm, glad, I'm glad for the freedom that I have. But let me tell you, it's a whole new world. It's a whole new world when God sets you free. And this verse tells you that when you decide to live this way and God blesses you, you're free for what? So that you can be a part of more generosity. And guess what? I'm living that right now. I'm experiencing like I could actually give to things. When people send me like little letters and they're like, I'm going to, uh, you know, wherever, I'm like, I could actually give to that. I, can get, I could help around the world. God has positioned me now in, in a little bit better of a situation to actually be a part of more generosity. And so these biblical principles are exactly, exactly the way that we should live and we should pay attention because Paul is suggesting this in this verse, that good service gets repeat business. If you are faithful in your giving, God will recognize and come back to you and me and use us and recognize us as a faithful steward of his resources so that he'll use us and partner with us once again that we would continue to get our righteousness abounding and our generosity and our impact abounding. Because remember this, fear makes us irrational. Fear makes us irrational, and we respond out of fear emotionally. And we should never do that. And by the way, finances in itself is an emotional subject. We're especially vulnerable to irrational thinking whenever we talk about these kind of things. Well, think about it this way. You would, have nev- you would never advise somebody to buy stock because it feels right. In the same way, you should, you should be careful to not allow your financial theology to be corrupted by emotion. Isn't that like saying that you're afraid to call the police because there's a robber in your house with a gun, but you're afraid to call the police because they have a gun? You're afraid to go to the doctor because he's going to give you a shot even though that shot will save your life. It's, it's, it's irrational thinking, right? I mean, statistically, you know, the, the, the easiest way to get in an accident is on the way to the airport, not in the air, right? But our emotions take over, and what do we freak out about? Not about the car ride there, but about getting up in the plane because of the law of gravity, right? So our emotions will always toy with our fears. Now, you'd think that by now we've lived life long enough to get a handle on our fear, and this is why. We started with fear because fear and faith go together, but there is something we can do with fear, and that is not 
eliminate it. We could eliminate the bad kind of fear, but fear needs to be replaced with another kind of fear. So fear replaces fear. That's your last point. For centuries, fear of falling off the earth because it was flat kept the Europeans from discovering America until eventually that fear was replaced by another fear of not having new resources. Uh, We fear going to the dentist, but we could replace that fear by another fear of your teeth rotting and falling out of your mouth, right? And so in other words, the fear never goes away, but it could eventually be trumped by a healthier fear. And some fears are healthy, aren't they? Uh, Fear from danger will keep us from, you know, getting into a situation that could possibly cost us our lives. A fear of, uh, of failure could actually drive us toward success. And so what's the kind of fear that we want to address? Look at Proverbs chapter number 9, verse number 10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Our fear of God, simply put, is, 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 this is how it needs to be leveraged. We leverage our fear of God because we fear more, not that we won't have enough money, but we fear more that God won't be a part of our finances. Let let me me say it this way. What do you fear more? Not having enough money, or do you fear more God not being a part of your lives and my life? We just have to manage our fears by just saying they're not going to go away, but we can replace it with a healthier fear. Look look, look at this uh, verse in Galatians chapter 6, verse number 7. Paul says, do not be deceived. Don't be fooled. God cannot be mocked. And by the way, this is pretty fearful. It's the law of the harvest given in a stronger way, really is what it is. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life. Then the encouragement, let us not become weary in doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. You see, that is a healthy fear to recognize that God is saying, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Well, that's pretty fearful, but that's a healthy fear. So what do you fear more? What do I fear more? And I'm telling you right now, after you begin to trust God with a little in the law of sowing and reaping, the law of the harvest says he'll give us more to manage, more to be a steward of. And as we begin to manage that properly and God comes back to us and decides to trust us with more, and as our age increases and as our influence increases, as our responsibility increases, as God continues to bless, once you cross that line, then you know going backwards is not an option. Because if you were to ask me, what do I fear, not having enough or not having God be a part of my life. Here's what I would say. To be gut-wrenching honest, I still fear not having enough just about every day of my life because I'm in the ministry. Nobody does this gig for money, all right? But when it comes down to it, I've experienced enough to keep me going forward because I'm telling you right now, I, I fear more God not being a part of what I do. It's like Peter stepping out of the boat on the water, you know? Does he fear getting wet? Or does he fear more missing out on the awesome miracle of walking on water, something that nobody's ever done in human history then or before then or since then? What do we fear the most? I love uh, what uh, uh, Darla said when she was singing the song at the beginning uh, uh, of the uh, worship service. And she said, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And when we begin to apply 
these principles and start taking a look. And again, baby steps, right? Like we talked about last week, baby steps. And as we take one step closer to living the way that God wants us to live, we'll begin to experience more freedom and more freedom until eventually we get to the place where God wants us and we're able to live free. This last song that you're about to hear is, is Your Promises. And I love, it's the perfect song. And, and uh, when Jimmy sent it to me, uh, the lyrics, I looked at the lyrics and I, I just want to read for you the chorus. It says, it doesn't matter what I feel. It doesn't matter what I see. My hope will always be in your promises to me. Now I'm casting out all fear for your love has set me free. My hope will always be in your promises to me. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time together and we ask your richest blessing upon this time. God, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, for your truths that we can put our trust and hope in. Father, help us not to respond to our own emotion or our own instinct, but help us to live by faith, recognizing that faith and fear live parallel lives, that it is a part of, 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 of the law of the harvest. And God, I just pray that we would begin to take steps toward trusting you in this way. Whatever that means for us, I pray, Father, that what... Whatever we want to hear, whatever it is that you want us to hear, Father, I pray that you would help us to hear it. And then, Father, give us the courage to respond to it. Give us the courage to respond to whatever it is that you're nudging us about. Father, when these things take place, we'll be sure to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. We ask and pray these things in the powerful name of Jesus Christ. Amen.